is Moving Pictures. I'm your host, Brent Gunn. I'm your co-host, Mitchell Kakalka. Mitch, we've been doing the show for a while now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, about a year or so, I think, at this point. I feel like at this point, m- much better than we used to, we have a little bit of a better grip on each other mm-hmm. and our viewing habits and what we may like, what we may dislike. How would you describe me as like a a viewer mm-hmm. or a, 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 a film fan? Very discerning, I think, is one word. Um, within 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 the context of like your film taste, I'm sophisticated as well. Um, you're shaking your head no, but I, I would say yes. And like, God knows, I don't like complimenting people besides myself. But I would say like more so than like other people I know. You're sophisticated, um, learned. I don't know if people still use that word, but you you have a you have a really solid um, foundation of film experience and like knowledge of the. F- medium of film the process of filmmaking like more so than most people i know well you're you're a great great co-host oh thank you you're you're very uh supportive (laughs) and truthful Mm. you're very truthful in everything that you say um at that that that's actually what i wanted you to say not not because i think (laughs) that but because that's the perfect segue into the movie that we're going to talk about today Uh uh-huh because i love movies especially nowadays that go their own path mm-hmm. or that i feel screw with the system enough or the format enough to create something that i think is more so unique and one off and those those films are kind of harder and harder to come by they're still made mm-hmm. like um a, a great modern example would be flying lotus's kuso that just came out i believe last year mm-hmm. that is just a complete uh trip of, yeah. of, of a movie from start to finish and it's i mean it's 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 gotten quite quite a bit of coverage it's gotten quite a bit of uh, attention and I, I i think a pretty good critical response too from fans and, and critics too mm-hmm. there's definitely films like that still happening today but i still love those movies that i just feel they go their own way and they and they know that they're kind of turning against the mob mm-hmm. there's there, there's a little bit of an appeal in that to me the film that we're talking about is Freddy Got Fingered. LeBaron, bet your boots, it's LeBaron. Because his number one son in the license plate. That's me, I'm the number one son. You make your daddy proud. You hear me? I'm gonna make you so proud. You make your daddy proud. Proud. Get the hell away! Are you really excited about starting to work at the sandwich factory tomorrow? Hello? Can you hear me? There's probably people at the factory that have been making cheese sandwiches their entire lives, and they're going to look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And they're going to call me a loser. Ooh, you and the reason why I, I bring all of this up is because I don't necessarily love films that always do that in an intellectual way or a sophisticated way. Sometimes it's good to just kind of screw with things for the sake of screwing with them. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Tom Green in his solo directorial starring debut did that. And I, I think he did that in a way that isn't going to be probably replicated for, uh, I mean, it, I, 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 I don't think it has been yet. Mm-hmm. That's largely probably due to the reception that it had when it came out between both critics and audiences. What I think Freddy Got Fingered solidifies more than anything is that Tom Green feels a sincere boredom with archetypes. Mm -hmm. And he feels a sincere boredom with the formalities attached to 
who he is and what he's trying to uh, quote unquote represent. And I feel like that's really, really evident in his late night appearances when, when he was in his prime. You all right? Yeah, we're on. We're on now? <laughs> it's a rehearsal. You'll be okay. fine. Yeah. Okay. How are you? Good. I, I, great. I just, I'm, this is great. <laughs> okay. No, no one's, no guest here has ever said this is great. No, I just, <laughs> it's crazy. That's all. I just don't want you guys to think I'm stupid. That's all. <laughs> okay. Have you seen yeah. the first part of the show? Yeah, no, it's, it's been great. It's been great. And now I'm here. Yeah. Now Don't I'm here, and I just, I'm concerned that you guys are going to think I'm stupid. That's all. No, so, no. We no, this never is exciting. This no, is crazy. Okay, yeah. good, good. Yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk about all sorts of things, like about the show and stuff. Yes, to help promote the show. Yeah, because we want people to watch uh, the show. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's the technique you're going with? Yeah. Very yeah. good. So you guys, they're laughing because they you guys think I'm stupid. That's what it is, right? <laughs> Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> no. I'm, concerned, I'm just concerned, though, because I come out and I put my foot in my mouth and I say something stupid right away like that. Of course we're here to promote the show. Obviously, that's what I'm here to do, right? You're going to be fine. But he showed up to the Conan O'Brien show with a series of uh, camouflages so he would blend in with Conan O'Brien's set. <laughs> he showed up to Jay Leno as a tree um, and put a mouse in his, in his mouth because he did it in a movie and he was with Judge Judy. He, he always had these very kind of like bizarre, almost like Andy Kaufman-esque appearances on late night. You know, Andy Kaufman had those really notorious, like going to the going to the studio audience and like asking for money. <laughs> he he definitely embodied that that same spirit for me. And when I would watch his show, the Tom Green show, not, you know, back in the heyday because I was like five. But, you know, upon later viewing as I got older, having a clear context for things like, you know, Eric Andre and, you know, that that ilk of, uh, you know, uh, comedy. When I discovered Tom Green, I immediately seemed to just be on his side. It, it immediately made sense to me. And the first time I saw Freddie Got Fingered, it immediately made sense to me. And uh, to, to, to quote Tom Green directly, um, he was in a podcast with Joe Rogan, <laughs> but he was in a podcast with Joe Rogan at one period, as many like fine people are. Joe mm -hmm. Rogan's in. Uh, a Joe Rogan. He, he's he's a he's a Joe Rogan. He, he's a real Joe Rogan. Um, Tom Green said, uh, "The fifty percent who love it are making fun of the fifty percent who hate it." Dad, what? God, name are you doing, you stupid little man? Wait. Did you get a job? Yeah, I got a job, and I wanted to surprise you. No, I got a job working nights at a computer company, and I was just borrowing one of your suits until I could get enough money to buy one of my own. Are you kidding? You just keep that suit. Oh, God. I knew you had it in you. You're just a late bloomer, that's all. Yeah, I just bloomed late. Hey, can I borrow 50 bucks or something, you know, for supplies, for, like, pens or liquid paper? Golly, Gord, I, I knew if I kept yelling at you and pounding you over the head with it, you'd come around. Golly, Dad, you were right all along. <laughs> Just keep dancing, celebrate. Hell, man, this is a great day. Whoa! <clears throat> <clears throat> the backwards man, the backwards man, the backwards man. And that's that. That was kind of his response to the critical reception of the film, because 2001, when the film came out, the people that were reviewing the film, as Joe Rogan pointed out, were these very stiff. Uh, you know, New York film critic types. You know, they 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 were the Roger Eberts of the world. You know, Roger mm -hmm. Ebert had that classic quote of like the movie's the 
below barrels and below the bottom of the barrels, that famous barrel quote. Yeah. But now, uh, 17 years later, the film has amassed such a cult fandom mm-hmm. that it's, it's, it's funny to watch that, that dynamic play. And there's other films that, you know, have had that negative reception initially that found that cult love and that cult appreciation. And, you know, in the same way that I love a film like, uh, you know, Pink Flamingos or Trash Humpers, I like Freddy Got Fingered because it's a film that operates completely on its own terms. And it often, I think, gets gets really misrepresented because it's often kind of missed who Tom Green made Freddy Got Fingered for, mm-hmm. what, what the initial audience was. Like, who do you think he was trying to make the film for? Well, one, I think fans of fans of his comedy. I think they people who are already on in on the joke were definitely one audience. But also, I think when you look at Freddy Got Fingered and look at how similar it is, at least in its most basic forms of like construction, how similar it is to comedies that were coming out around that time, around the turn of the millennium. I think he was probably trying to kind of in like a Venus flytrap kind of way, kind of like bring in and like attract in people who are um, receptive of those comedies and kind of trap them within like his own his own vision of what that kind of comedy, um, the kind of end result of it is. There's a kind of obsession with these kind of like remedial tasks and all of these kind of archetypes of basic American life. Um, I feel like that the film overall is kind of like a vehicle for him channeling his maybe cynicism towards those those tasks or those jobs or those those cultures um he he works at the at the cheese sandwich store mm-hmm. and there's the scene where you know the guy comes in and he says oh there's not enough cheese on the cheese sandwich and as a person who's worked in food service that's often how absurd it feels when someone comes to you with you know oh there's only three pickles on i'm not i'm not kidding like people would come be like oh there aren't enough pickles there's supposed to be two there's only one and when you're in that in that situation the it feels so absurd that you literally just want to do what tom green does in the scene and you know oh well you know you want more cheese and he puts like six pounds of cheese (laughs) and like you know two slices of bread and kind of has this like freak out but um what watching that there's no way that i could interpret that as anything other than being a a satirical take on an everyday experience mm-hmm. and i feel like the film is a satirical take not only on everyday experiences but on the entire model of basically you know filmmaking of its time mm-hmm. i mean there's there's the he 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 feels the need to follow all of these Hollywood rules because he's making a you know big Hollywood picture and every single one he does he plays so uh cynically and on the nose and 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 it's so abundantly clear what he's trying to do and it it's almost confusing me why critics at the time didn't really pick up on that cuz it feels mm-hmm. just so obvious now when I when I watch it mm-hmm. That his his performance is so kind of grandiose, and and, and his uh, Rip Torn's performance is so over the top. Yeah. Um. There's there's a, another scene where when it comes out that his brother, uh, or he accuses his brother of you know a very heinous act. We're not gonna you know specify. He screams it, throws a statue out of a window, and then launches himself out of the window, like this huge grandiose. It's played like a reveal in Clue. Or in, you know, Law and Order. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you just, like, picture that. 
that sound to like come in at any moment as he throws himself out the window. And I don't know, is there is there that much of a disconnect between what what critics were perceiving then and now? Do you think that the landscape of media and comedy has changed that much? I think the landscape has definitely changed because when we look at 2001, not saying that like Freddie Got Finger inspired it, but like months after the movie came out, that's when Adult Swim first launched its original programming. And so I think the comedy landscape and, and like what people, how people have like developed their palettes towards what kind of humor has changed a little bit. That might be why people can look back at Freddie Got Fingered with kind of like fresh eyes and see what it was trying to do. I mean, because you can like point out like a direct line between that kind of humor and like then Eric Andre. Mm -hmm. I think even Roger Ebert said like a year afterwards when he reviewed another movie that was kind of basic. I think it was like Stealing Harvard or something, something to that. Kind of like American Pie. Yeah, and also it starred Tom Green. It wasn't written. He wasn't like involved with the process. But like in his review, he said like, as much as I trashed it when it came out, like I still remember Freddie Got Fingered. Like I won't remember the, the movie I'm talking about right now. I won't remember tomorrow morning. But like ye- a year later, I still very vividly remember scenes from Freddie Got Fingered. Yeah, and I, I think he also mentioned like you know there may be a day when someone interprets this as like a you know Dadaist masterpiece or mm-hmm. something like a surrealist masterpiece. I don't think it's a surrealist masterpiece. Yeah. I think it's a pretty. Um, pretty mean-spirited satire on on american filmmaking Mm -hmm. and i i I really don't understand how anyone could not perceive that it's it's satirical when like his love interest the 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 the, the relationship with his father the entire plot itself Mm -hmm. um having this this desire to be this cartoonist and he's constantly like being told by people around him that there needs to be more order in his life. There needs to be more direction. There needs to be more conflict. And, you know, his answer to conflict is, you know, by, by you know, creating conflict is, you know, jumping out of his car and harassing farmers or and, and animals for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and just it, there's there's so many moments that feel like an extension of his show. And I feel like most people probably went into the film thinking this was just a series of skits that he pieced together mm-hmm. and kind of pawned off as a film for a big paycheck. And just personally, I kind of have more respect for Tom Green as a creator than that. Cause I feel like in most of what he does, which I don't feel is very mean, mean spirited. I know I said mean spirited earlier, but most of his comedy, I don't think is mean spirited. I think it mostly comes from a place of acknowledging the, the absurdism of situations of everyday life. Mm-hmm. And that feels just continued in Freddie Got Fingered. And, you know, we talk about audiences now looking at this film with fresh eyes. I mean, there, there, there was a time where, you know, The Shining was hated when it came out. Uh-huh. And, you know, we've also talked about a 30-year cycle on shows before. Yeah. I, I, I guess I'm curious if maybe movies that we hate now like, you know, Slender Man, for, for an example. <laughs> I wonder if, like, in 30 years, someone's going to be able to look at a movie like Slender Man and be like, oh, this was part of the mid, of, of the, the, the late teens post-horror phase where, where hmm. it was so satirically separated. Yeah, I wonder if someone will be making that argument. Or, or maybe. Ma- maybe not for Slender Man, but maybe, <laughs> maybe for... Something, like, bright, maybe? Something that's... No, uh, no, no. We can't. We can't give Landis that much credit. Um, 
I, I, I feel I, I guess I'm just curious in how people will perceive media that we're enjoying right now in 30 years if the transition from, you know, 2001 to 2018 seems pretty radical. Mm-hmm. The Last Jedi, I think that's the only other. That's the only example I can think of where of a film that's hated at the moment that there's that there is kind of like a conflict between like the separate pieces of fandom um, over its true merit, whether or not it's actually a quality film. More so, I'd say Slender Man. I mean, because people Suicide have, Squad. I can oh, very easily mm-hmm. see someone make a make some wild argument that it that it's a critique on you know superhero movies people of the have time. made that argument oh, already no and it's not <laughs> david ayer now david ayer is not that cl- that clever <laughs> tom green is much more clever than david ayer i don't, I don't know if they ever released a, released a snyder cut hashtag like we could be talking about justice league in this context um next couple of years but i mean on, 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 honestly just uh just to quickly like touch on that superhero thing if I can make a prediction, I feel like a lot of these superhero movies will probably be returned to less favorably than they were. I, I think hmm. I think a negative effect would happen because I feel like that that's going to be a case with a lot of media coming out right now. We we walk into a lot of things, especially nowadays, especially with you know how crazy fandoms are with you know their films, everything, with literally everything. And I'm I'm guilty of it too sometimes, and I have to kind of like check myself before I go into a film. Mm-hmm. And we go into things just immediately prepared to love it because yeah. it's gonna satisfy everything that we want to see. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it gets to the point where the big criticisms that I hear about a film are, oh, I loved it because you know this this character showed up, and I loved when this character showed up, and I loved when this character. And this character, like we're on screen together, mm-hmm. and that and that's great. If that's enough for you to, you know, love and appreciate the film, then that's totally great. I have no problem with that. If that's how you enjoy that movie, that's fine. But I wonder if people are going to be able to do that in twenty years for those films. I think a lot. I don't know if when when, when the hype is just not there at all. I don't know if the people are going to look back on negatively. Then that it's not just because they they are. Um, at least talking within like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they are competently made films. They are very um, solidly made, solidly constructed films in their own right That because they follow that formula so well. I think there's, there's going to be a lot of them that are just forgotten, whereas I think Black Panther is going to be talked about in some context for a long time. Infinity War, um, Winter Soldier, a lot of those ones that people like put above the pack. L- Logan, probably. Logan as, as well, Um the Logan even now is kind of people have kind of separated it from the majority of other comic book movies just by what kind of movie it is, like what kind of themes it tackles, what kind of I mean he shall not be named, not be named Max Landis said at one point like Logan is kind of a callback to the point in which you would see maybe back in like the early like late nineties early two thousands where. The superhero movie wasn't a genre. It was they were movies that that they were movies that had happened to have superheroes in them, but there weren't like superhero movies. Whereas now, like um, and a lot of critics have pointed this out, Mar- the Marvel movies are kind of their own genre. Like they they yeah, they kind of yeah. are. And mm-hmm. that that that's also I I don't I don't want to forget about that. So let's come back to that. Mm-hmm. But uh. I'm already sensing that people are turning on, you know, Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy 
in in mm-hmm. in context looking back i mean specifically the dark knight rises yeah that more one. people hate that movie than than i than i remember initially i remember mm-hmm. when i walked out of the theater for that movie so many people were saying oh man that was even better than yeah. than dark, dark knight, knight the previous one yeah and no one likes <laughs> likes Dark Knight Rises now. Very few people like that. I think I like Batman Begins the most of the tr- of the trilogy, mm-hmm. honestly, just because it feels. I feel like it feels the most like it doesn't have anything to prove. Yeah. Sometimes when I watch when I when I try to rewatch uh, the the Dark Knight, I never try to rewatch the Dark, the Dark Knight Rises. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it feels a little bit. It feels so separated from a superhero movie that it almost just feels like The Departed with guys in masks. You yeah. Know? And and that that is fine, but they don't necessarily do things with Batman's character that I find horribly interesting. But yeah, people are already starting to turn on that series. And then you talk about how Marvel's kind of its own genre. Does that make DC its own genre? Well, DC has kind of hopped around which genre it wants to be in for a while. I mean, you have those hyper-realistic, the Nolan trilogy. Then you have the current DC DC Extended Universe, um, whatever they're trying. The the, the movies that they're putting out to try to ape Marvel's success. Yeah, because I'm I'm curious if that idea of a cinematic universe kind of in some ways entitles you the freedom of kind of making your own genre. Mm Mm-hmm. In, in, I mean, in, in a kind of way that Marvel have, I mean, they still follow basic, you know, movie structure, but yeah. they do definitely have, for lack of a, of a better term, their distinctive qualities. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I, I I saw the first Avengers, didn't like it, and I can honestly say that every Marvel movie I've seen since has reminded me in some way or form of my experience with Avengers. Uh, but yeah. I, I don't hate Marvel or all their movies. It's just not for me. It's I'm just mm-hmm. not the target audience. Yeah, I think hype can be kind of a fickle thing. Like going back to like the Nolan trilogy, I remember even at the time people were kind of um, eh about Dark Knight Rises more so than Dark Knight. And like go back to like I think it was Alex on Sardonicast in the most recent episode said that um, that's like one movie that he just hates going back. <laughs> He went back to it recently and hated. Um, and and the idea that like Batman Begins is kind of uh, underappreciated at least, or at least overshadowed. I I think so. Yeah, the Dark Knight. Um, opinions like those are kind of becoming more prevalent just as time goes on. I want to say we're like, oh, we're right in the middle of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I know we've we've been in it for ten years now. After, I mean, I, they just celebrated like a, um, Iron Man came out in two thousand eight. Talking about how critics when freddy got fingered first came out 2001 hated it Mm -hmm. and now talking about how we have this ability to know how so many people feel about a film Mm -hmm. based on you know like what we're doing right now yeah you know we're able to project to you know millions and millions you know Mm -hmm. not really but you know we're able to project to people yeah a number of people Mm -hmm. um, a number a a number of people mm-hmm. who uh, who wouldn't know otherwise what we would feel on a film, and I I wouldn't say that we're film critics by any any stretch no. of the of the word, and I wouldn't say that we really even have our foot in like the film in like the online film critic community. No, not really, because we're 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 podcasters. We're mm-hmm. we're not really anything. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's a non-title basically. Yeah. Well, I think. 
But now, but now hmm. that people like us and more people can just get online and generate a fan base with their opinion, it's funny that those films that were once hated are now finding that second audience or that mm-hmm. second life. Um, I'm curious that as you know that kind of just expands and expands more and more, it, it, it could be really interesting to see what films continue to kind of develop fan bases. I mean, years ago, there wasn't a big cult fan base for the film Food Fight. And now there is like that. That's a prime example of how the Internet can kind of recontextualize and reintroduce a new audience to mm-hmm. a piece of work. And in the same way that Food Fight has aged perfectly over time, I feel like Freddy Got Finger has also aged perfectly over time. And I think it's almost necessary viewing for people that love things like, uh, you know, the Eric Andre show. Mm-hmm. It's almost I, I, it's really tried to say that Eric Andre ripped Tom Green off because, you know, bleh. but uh, if, if you're a fan of that, you're almost intrinsically inclined to also at least appreciate what Tom Green was doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy that we live in an era where films like Freddy Got Fingered, hopefully Flying Lotus's Cuso can have an eternal series of like respawnings in, mm-hmm. in relevancy and new people coming to appreciate them. Food Fight as well, I think, deserves a place in that group. It, it definitely does. And with that, this has been Moving Pictures. I was your host, Brent Gunn. I was your co-host, Mitchell Kakalka. Thank you for listening.